and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. We need to learn to take God at His Word. Sounds easy enough, especially if it's smooth sailing. But in the midst of a storm, even the disciples of Jesus needed a reminder. On one occasion, He told them, Let us go over to the other side. They did. En route to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, however, their boat encountered a furious squall. The sky opened and buckets of water fell and waves threatened to overturn the boat. The disciples turned to Jesus and found him sound asleep. They screamed, Don't you care if we drown? Jesus woke up, stood up, commanded the storm to shut up, and then said to the disciples, Do you still have no faith? What a stunning rebuke. The sea was raging, the water was churning. Why did Jesus scold them? Simple. They didn't take him at his word. He said they were going to the other side. He didn't say, we are going to the middle of the lake to drown. Jesus had declared the outcome. But when the storm came, the disciples heard the roar of the winds and forgot his word. Storms are coming your way. Winds will howl, your boat will be tossed, and you will have a choice. Will you hear Christ or the crisis? Heed the promises of Scripture or the noise of the storm? Will you take God at his word? We're here in the Archbishop's Corner, where Archbishop Leonard Blair of Hartford will help us be strong in faith and encourage us to take God at his word. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. The days are warming up. Anything special happening on the Archdiocesan side of life? Oh, there's always something happening on the Archdiocesan side of life. I'm trying to think. Well, recently, uh, a very happy event at the Cathedral of St. Joseph. Well, actually, two things with the Cathedral. Uh, the first is the fact that as part of the uh, big capital campaign for the Archdiocese uh, that's under the Hartford Bishops Foundation, and I might say that actually the capital campaign is for the Foundation, not directly for the Archdiocese, and benefits both parishes and the Foundation. But one of the projects there at the Cathedral uh, included uh, some major renovations that are greatly expanding the services of the cathedral in the name of all the Catholic people of the Archdiocese with the Malta House of Care, uh, with the, the food and clothing distribution, and also fixing up the cathedral. And one of the things is the creation of a mother's garden uh, oh. that commemorates uh, the, the donors uh, to the uh, foundation. And we had the dedication of the mother's garden on Mother's Day which was very nice. Mr. Jim Smith, who's chairman of the Hartford Bishops Foundation, uh, and uh, his uh, soon-to-be successor, Mr. Jamie Calamarides, and their families were there, and a number of uh, people, parishioners and uh, invited guests, uh, to bless this beautiful <coughs> pavilion that gives a whole history of the arch of the cathedral uh, on a plaque and that, that commemorates the Sisters of Mercy, who were there even before the cathedral was built, and that lists a number of uh, that lists the names of mothers uh, of donors uh, to the garden. Uh, so Mother's Day was a beautiful day to pray for them, 
for their eternal rest and also to uh, thank uh, the people. There's so, so many wonderful board members of the foundation, uh, professional people who donated their services uh, or goods uh, to, uh, to, to or their money for this campaign. But again, the, the what's behind it is not uh, funds just to create a garden by any means, but rather the whole cathedral project and all the many other things that are being supported throughout the Archdiocese by the Hartford Bishops Foundation. You know, about the, the part of the capital campaign, they've reached uh, about $40 million in contributions from the people of the Archdiocese, and they've already returned $10 million to the parishes for various projects, uh, you know, over time. That That's part of the of the way the campaign is organized. That is to say that uh, half the money really goes back to the parish uh, for special projects that they designate. And, of course, you may remember, too, that during the uh, height of COVID, the foundation raised about a half a million dollars to distribute to parishes that were in financial distress at the when the, when the pandemic was at its worst. Mm-hmm. So the Hartford Bishops Foundation and this capital campaign and the drive and everything is really a very positive thing. And I don't, on this program, do commercials, but uh, but I must say that I would encourage our people to be uh, to be generous in, in making that a capital uh, campaign of the foundation a success. Uh, and also I'm very generous to all of those who th- this year have already contributed to the Archbishop's annual appeal. Um, one of the things that comes up occasionally is what's the difference between the two? And I go back to that homey example that the the Archbishop's annual appeal is annual and it it's used to fund the things the diocese is, is supporting and doing in a given year, whereas the uh, foundation is uh, more like the uh, the bank account in as much as it's a fund uh, to be used, not just to be hoarded or saved, but to be used in the long term for parishes and for other worthy projects of the archdiocese. So I'm going on here at length, but I, there's a lot to say about this that I think is very, very positive. And uh, we're looking forward, too, to the opening now of this, uh, the Malta House of Care, uh, you know, uh, which will now have not just a van on the cathedral uh, property, but will actually have uh, a building uh, as a clinic. Is that funded uh, by the Archbishop's Annual Appeal or by the Hartford Bishop's Foundation, Archbishop? The building itself, the, the actual construction of this building, is through the Hartford Bishop's Foundation, a significant uh, contribution there. The, the operations of it from year to year uh, also, uh, that comes from the Archbishop's Annual Appeal. I mean, they have to raise a lot of money to do this. They provide uh, tens of thousands of people over time. They provided free medical care for people in need. But they've always received a significant contribution from the AAA every year. But the building part, the expansion, the that kind of thing, that project, that is uh, being funded in part from the Hartford Bishops Foundation. You know, the other thing about the cathedral, now that we're talking about it, I think we've already maybe had this conversation before, but I continue to be very happy that we are now having all the confirmations uh, of the year at the cathedral on the weekends. Uh, And, you know, some people groused about it. Why do we have to drive to Hartford, you know? Uh, But when people come and all these young people are together with the beautiful cathedral, beautiful music uh, uh, on on a nice Saturday or Sunday afternoon, uh, I think I've heard only good things that people are really pleased. So many people in, in our archdiocese have never set foot in their own cathedral. Uh, because, you and know, it it's is not, the mother church of the archdiocese of Hartford. That's right. It's not just the—I uh, mean, it has its own parishioners in the neighborhood, uh, but 
uh, everybody belongs to the cathedral. And I have to say it's severe modern architecture from the outside looks pretty uh, formidable. But the stained glass in there is absolutely magnificent. It's a beautiful space. And I even encourage listeners to go online and look up St. Joseph's Cathedral in Hartford and see the beautiful pictures of your cathedral uh, and to know that it's being well used uh, for many, many things, uh, the most recent being the confirmations. And, of course, the enhancement of this beautiful mother's garden with the historical plaques uh, is makes it all, all the better. And there are continuing going to be improvements there. Uh, uh, you know, as part of this uh, this plan. But again, that's only one part and not even the major part of what the Hartford Bishops Foundation does. And so, again, there too, I, I would hope that people, especially in these difficult times, you know, inflation is really getting bad. I, we all notice it. And um, so it, it takes a greater, perhaps, uh, amount of generosity for people to, to make a generous gift. But I hope that uh, they, the uh, similarly, the charities and the good things that benefit from the AAA every year are in need of your contributions, and so is the uh, foundation for all the good things, one of which I've described. Well, today is Peace Officers Memorial Day, paying tribute to local, state, and federal law enforcement officers. The patron saint of police officers is St. Michael the Archangel. He's also the patron saint of anyone who works in a dangerous job, including military personnel, firefighters, and paramedics. Why would St. Michael be the patron saint of these, Archbishop? Well, because he's the uh, traditionally de- depicted in, from scripture, scriptural references uh, to being the, uh, the one who um, is the defender. Uh, St. Michael is always depicted with sh- sword and shield uh, as the one who um, is the uh, conqueror of, uh, of the devil. Uh, and so in that tradition, you know, we, we invoke him in that way. And Tuesday is a day that acknowledges a problem that starts small and grows to often life-destroying proportions. It's Pack Rat Day. Some people collect everything, thinking that they are being thrifty or just plain resourceful. But for some, they are on the verge or deep in the middle of a very serious problem that they might have. I know one person, for instance, who collects those plastic bags that the daily newspaper often comes in. Do you know any pack rats that collect an overabundance of something, Archbishop? Yes, I do. I'm not going to name them, but there are people. uh, That's become more and more obvious, hasn't it, or more and more prominent about people who who gather things like that. Uh, Sometimes, I suppose, it's just kind of maybe a some particular thing that they collect, you know, in the in the in the in the good sense. But for others, it can be a compulsion to uh, to hoard things or to collect things that can be problematic. I've heard of, of instances where an emergency has developed in the home of someone and the emergency personnel weren't able to get to that person in a brief period of time because they had to wade through mountains and mountains of collected artifacts within the home before they reached the bedroom, for instance, of a person. Yes, well, you know, our human psyche is prone to many things, some of which are not as healthy as they should be. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of syndromes going around, and we all have our quirks, but uh, we have to be careful that some of them are, can lead to uh, problems. On Wednesday, we celebrate the birth anniversary of Carol Wojtyla, better known as St. John Paul II, elected Pope on October 16th of 1978, the first non-Italian to be elected in 456 years, and the first Polish Pope. When you think about St. John Paul II, Archbishop, is there a particular memory that stands out for you? 
Well, as you know, I worked in Rome all those years under Pope John Paul, so mm. I certainly have many, many memories. I wouldn't know where to begin, but they're all happy memories. I, I suppose the one sad memory is that I was in Rome for his funeral, and that was a, I'm sure I've said this before on the program, but that was a extremely powerful uh, something I will event, something I will never forget. Well, he was he was pope for I believe 27 years. Which well, in God itself bless is him. No one no one should have to bear that burden that long. Mm. Let's take a look at our gospel reading on this fifth Sunday of Easter, Archbishop. And it's the 15th day of May. Today's reading is from John's Gospel, the 13th chapter. And after the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you asking for your thoughts. It's a short gospel. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and in him God is glorified. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, Archbishop, what are your thoughts about this gospel? Set the scene for us. Well, I believe uh, this is uh, the uh, discourse that Jesus gives um, at the Last Supper um, when uh, it says when Judas had left them, because we know, of course, that Jesus had looked Judas in the eye and said, I know you're the one. And Judas uh, left and did his deed of betrayal and then went and hanged himself and Jesus said you know it is better if he had never been born that's an, uh, an awful mm. thing to consider that he's betrayed and yet you know I've said this too before that the much to ponder there that in the somehow in the plan of God that one of the 12 chosen by Jesus to be his closest collaborators his closest friends uh, confidants that one of them should be the one who betrays Jesus uh, to his death. And of course that has ramifications for all time of, of betrayal uh, and treachery and infidelity uh, even among people who one would never expect that of. But so much for Judas, when he had left Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and God will glorify him at once. Well, what does that refer to? This is St. John's theology, that Christ's moment of glory was hanging on the cross. Now, this is a great mystery of faith, that this was the moment uh, that already in that, it wasn't that just that the resurrection is the glory, but even this total gift of self, uh, paying the penalty for our sins, taking, or putting it, let's put it this way, taking upon himself all the evil that had been, was, or ever would be in the world, that Jesus is glorified in that. Um, and we don't think of it in those terms from our perspective, but that he is being glorified. Um, you know, Jesus said, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all things to himself. So, that's something to really ponder and pray about. Uh, and it has to do with our own glorification. I don't think we think of uh, uh, it being a moment of glory when we are 
uh, in dire straits. But, you know, even for the martyrs, uh, they had this sense that as they were being killed, that this was a moment of glory. Um, so then Jesus says, I'll be with you only a little long, a while longer, uh, meaning that tomorrow I'm going to be crucified. Um, but I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I've loved you. This is how all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, that's something, isn't it? Because those words apply today as much as they applied at the Last Supper. How do we know that we are truly disciples of Jesus if we have love for one another? And by implication, if we don't have love for one another, then Jesus is saying we're not his disciples. We may claim to be. We may have the veneer. We may put on a good show. But unless we have love for one another, we cannot be his disciples. So it's a short gospel, but it's absolutely filled with profound truths. In, in terms of being this a new commandment that Christ gives us, why is, as he says, love one another as I have loved you, new? What is the new concept of it? Well, it was always about love, in, uh, but I think uh, what the new element is is that it's not just love of your own uh, or love uh, that is uh, measure, that is uh, circumscribed by justice, uh, but it is love that is total because it is love uh, even of enemies, uh, even those who hate us. Uh, and that is something different. You know, the Old Testament is also about love, but as God's plan and God's instruction of the human race proceeded, you know, it, there was also an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, uh, that this love was not as uh, absolute uh, as uh, it became in Christ. Uh, and so this, this is an, uh, something that, uh, that, that, you know, believing in Jesus, the truth of the gospel, and loving as he has loved us, that, that even of our enemies, that that is uh, that is a new dimension, and and all of a sudden this love becomes an identifying mark for all of us who claim to be disciples of Jesus. That's yes. that's how they will know that we are disciples of Jesus. The love that we have for each other. Yes, and we have to be careful. You know, it doesn't mean that the Jewish faith or the Old Testament was loveless by no means, but this is something that goes beyond that. It's in continuity with it, uh, but it in in what. Christ has done for us on the cross, it adds a, a totally uh, radical uh, depth and dimension to it. Let's look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Larry from Bristol says, there's a declining number of Americans who say they are Christian and a growing number of people who call themselves atheist or agnostic. This change in America shows no signs of slowing and I wonder, Archbishop, what kind of direction does the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops or the Vatican provide us in the Archdiocese regarding this rapidly growing secularization? Well, Larry, I, your question is kind of an institutional question, and I don't mean that as a criticism, but, you know, a, a conference of bishops or the Vatican, you know, meaning, I guess, the, uh, the, the Roman Curia and those offices, uh, this is a profoundly uh, spiritual uh, crisis that we're facing. Um, and, you know, it's very hard to give a, an easy answer when you say, what are we doing regarding this? We have to do what has always been done, 
and that is not only the bishops, not only uh, the Vatican, but every single believing Catholic has to, by their life and witness, by their words and deeds, they have to stand up and be models of the practice of the faith and be witnesses to Christ. You know, all the what the bishops have said, uh, taking their cue, of course, from uh, from the gospel, uh, but also uh, the, the popes have said for years now, decades, is that we all have to be missionary disciples, that each and every person has a call to holiness and each and every person has a call to uh, to, to, to bring Christ to the world and to invite other people uh, to our communion of faith. I mean, if you look, you'll see that in the last 50 years, there have been a constant stream of teaching and preaching on this theme. Uh, but, you know, we are living in a very uh, challenging and mysterious time. What this all means is hard to know exactly what this great apostasy of people uh, abandoning uh, Christian faith uh, certainly abandoning Orthodox Christian faith, by which I mean right teaching and, and practice. What it all portends, I don't know. But we, we are called to be, to be faithful, and we are also called not to be timid in professing our faith and inviting people to, to believe. But ultimately, it's a gift of God. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Faith is a gift. It can be rejected, but it ultimately comes from God. Marissa from Suffield has a question in which she says, In his annual World Day of Prayer for Vocations message, Pope Francis said that the church must become increasingly synodal. He emphasized that vocations have a communal and personal dimension and said, quote, Each of us shines like a star in the heart of God and in the firmament of the universe. At the same time, though, we are called to form constellations that can guide and light up the path of humanity beginning with the places in which we live, end quote. What does Pope Francis mean by this, says Marissa? Well, I think Pope Francis is, uh, has chosen a word, uh, synodal, uh, that really reflects something that is more commonly called communio, communion. And by that I mean that, well, I'll give you a funny example. Cardinal Dolan said, you know, in New York, once said that people think that they're Christ's sheep, but they think they're a flock of one. In other words, they only think of themselves as one individual sheep. They don't look around and realize that to be a follower of Christ, you're part of a flock together. And so a synodal, the, the etymology of that word, means bringing in t- together in oneness. And communio means this idea of being in communion, in oneness. And so none of us is a lone ranger, that priests are not lone rangers. Priests have to realize they're part of a presbyterate in a diocese. They're part of a a team, if you will, of a a community of, of priests who together have to go forward and carry out the work of the diocese. And similarly, the same thing is true of all Catholic people, that we are not uh, individuals uh, just on our own. We're not even all parishes just our own. You know, my parish, my church. Of course, that's a big thing that we're, we try to emphasize, especially in the face of the demands of pastoral planning in the archdiocese, that we are, I keep saying, one family of faith. You know, that uh, we, we are this local church of the Archdiocese of Hartford with all of its parishes, its clergy, religious, and laity. So that's what the Pope is saying, that we we have to listen to one another, we have to act together, and we have to all 
make sacrifices and do things that help one another so that together we, we carry out the mission of the church. Keith from New Milford says, with premarital sex and cohabitation so common, what is a priest to do when preparing these couples for matrimony? Well, Keith, you've asked a huge question. We, we were just talking about this in the Presbyteral Council meeting about marriage preparation. I can only tell you from my own, you know, I've been a priest for a long time now, 40-some years, and when I was a parish priest uh, years ago, uh, this was already uh, something that was there. But today, I mean, it's really uh, very common to encounter these things. And a priest has the obligation to, to challenge uh, a couple on this, to remind them of how the church understands marriage. And priests, by their own personality or the situation at hand, may be more gentle in what he says, or he may be very, very uh, uh, clear. Uh, well, I mean, that's not the right contrast, because you always want to be clear. Uh, might be more demanding in, in, in the way he puts it. Let's put it that way. But, you know, it, today we live in a society that is so totally contrary to what the church believes and teaches about human sexuality, about marriage, and it's coming to the point now even what it means to be a man or a woman, that this becomes very challenging. But I do think that a priest always has to have a very pastoral approach. And by that I mean that the people who are in these situations, they don't have a clue about what the church believes and teaches about these things because they're so steeped in the culture in which we live. They, they just, I mean, this comes to strange news to them to imagine the kind of understanding of marriage that the church is teaching. So a priest has to try to engage them and bring them forward to understand this and appreciate it. Because, you know, it's so important uh, for, for success of marriage. You know, premarital sex and cohabitation are not at all helping to create permanent, lifelong marriages open to the gift of new life and children. Uh, th- th- those things are not strengthening the sacrament of marriage, I can, I can assure you. So it's a huge challenge today uh, for many c- priests and many couples, but we're trying our best to do it. And we do require marriage preparation in the archdiocese. We don't, somebody just doesn't walk in and say, we want to get married, and we say, fine. We have to go through with them instruction on the Christian faith about marriage and, and, and family, about sexuality, and try to help them to prepare so they're making a wise and good decision, understand what they're, they're getting into for good. Uh, and, and so all that's part of the preparation. Roy from Canton says, The news has been filled with protests from pro-abortion groups ever since the leaked document from the Supreme Court made headlines. In Boulder, Colorado, vandals spray-painted my body, my choice, across the front doors of Sacred Heart of Mary Parish, and also defiled windows and religious statues. They even covered the hands and eyes of a bronze statue of Mary and Jesus with blood-red paint. Now we are hearing of groups like Ruth Sent Us, who are threatening churches as well. How are we to respond to acts of terrorism and the hatred expressed by self-proclaimed enemies of Christianity? Well, Roy, first and foremost, I would say... Uh, we have to do what Jesus said. We have to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We absolutely have to do that. Because if we don't, we're betraying. They're tempting us to betray our faith. Because our faith says that love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. But obviously, 
at the same time, we do civilly. We, we, we protect ourselves. We invoke the protection of the law against our lives and property. I sent out a thing to all of our priests uh, already mm-hmm. uh, t- telling them that they need to be uh, vigilant. Uh, they need to alert local law enforcement. They need to even take certain steps maybe to uh, make sure that our liturgies are not disrupted. Um, but I don't, I'm hoping and praying that in our archdiocese this will not become uh, an issue or a problem. But it's scary because it's not just about uh, churches, but even public officials, you know, uh, t- trying to unleash crowds against uh, people in public office, like the Supreme Court justices or others who are, are they, people don't agree with. This is a dangerous thing because it kind of becomes a mob mentality. And that is not good for democracy. It's not good for, for uh, our country. So I... Um, all I can say is we certainly, you know, we can't give in to this kind of thing, and we just have to use all of our spiritual and uh, material resources to uh, to deal with it. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord God, Heavenly Father, you've given us the gift of life, and you've given us your beloved Son, who is our hope of glory, who is our Lord and Savior, who has brought about the forgiveness of sins and given us new life. We pray that we may always be worthy followers of your Son, risen from the dead, and that in him we may find all consolation and peace. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for joining us and inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, we wish you a great week. Thank you. You too. Thank you.